Welcome back to another episode of Life in the Urban City podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudak, and joined again, as always, with our executive director, Eric Vasquez. Eric, welcome back to another one. Um, I know you've been busy. There's been a lot going on um, in your life, um, and a lot of it revolves around trauma. Um, I feel like, because I, I know a month or two ago, we did a podcast on being jaded, and a lot of times because of trauma, it makes it easy for us to become jaded. Um, I just, because this past week or month or so, we've been seeing death in our community. I want you to just kind of like share some of your experiences that you've dealt with being a youth worker from trauma. And we just want to just share and see and, and allow youth workers to have that space to know like, hey man, like we see it. These are things that we're going through and just being vulnerable and raw. So, Eric, if you want to just kind of start us off and share some trauma stories that have occurred that you've seen um, working with youth. Yeah, you know, I've been working in in the urban context for a while now, um, and it has not been easy. I think one of the things you don't realize is when you're smacked out in the middle of it, sometimes you, you become numb to the pain that's, like, ever-present, and it's just so heavy and it's constant um and over time you get secondhand trauma you get compassion fatigue uh but today you know i was talking with paul about you know some of our podcasts i wanted to tell some of those stories uh so i'll I'll go back one year i was coaching basketball here in the city and i was doing my youth work nonprofit work and one of our star athletes um one night you know we get that call and uh, it's a frantic call. And apparently um, his aunt and uncle, who he was living with, uh, were shot and killed on their porch in front of the kids, including himself, um, as they're coming home. And they were grocery shopping. So, you know, that night, you know, the police come. Both his aunt and his uncle died, bled out right in front of him. Horrendous, um, horrific sight. And I use this as a training tool, this this circumstance, and I, I, I try to train youth workers on how to handle these kinds of situations. So right away, you know, we went to the scene um, and and we consoled him and the, the younger ones. We removed them from the site, the area. We took them home. Uh, we cared for them and made sure they had everything they need until the investigation and the crime scene was taken care of. And then, you know, we had to start discussing what was going to happen next as all living relatives were gone. We started discussing, like, where would they go? Who would they live with? Um, walking with those children, especially my athlete who was, um, you know, having a really hard do- time. He was a junior. He was trying to figure out what was next. Um, he, he was probably a, a lower division um, caliber of a player, like college level player. But because of this incident, you know, it set him back and he wasn't able to pursue that dream and just ended up, you know, doing some some things with his life, but not reaching one of his greatest goals. And then what did it look like year after year, you know, to care for them and, and to continue to accompany him and mentor him? That was one big one that, you know, when people hear that story, they're like, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. And man, it was so hard when you're in the, in the heat of it, in the middle of it, and to have those conversations about the loss of life, and then to even go through the funeral, the burial, um, and, and caring for them very closely right after that. Like, dude, it was hard. Um, another one I, I always tell is a story of twins. 
twin teen boys um, from our city, Pomona. They were the old, the older by a few seconds was um, gang affiliated, and you know he was using drugs and putting in work and doing his thing, and then he ended up getting his brother in. So he brought his brother in. He started doing the same thing, putting in work, banging and slanging, doing his thing. They were not doing good in school. I was trying to walk with them. Eventually, what I caught wind of was that the younger brother made a mistake, and he he burned the, the neighborhood, and uh, they put a hit on him. So his own gang killed him, and they gave the contract to his brother, his twin brother. So his brother ended up uh, murdering him and he got charged with the crime and I still write and stay in touch with that young man um, but it was one of the saddest stories I remember visiting him when he was incarcerated and it was our first time that we had unsupervised visits and he comes in and I, I ask him for the first time like what happened bro like just tell me like lay it all out man he just broke down dude and, that story of like having to take the life of his brother like it was so sad and the pain that it put on the parent dude like ah it was so hard um the last one i'll tell really quickly and i'll end with this and i i kind of wanted to read it um because i was gonna i was going on vacation and i was it was the day before i was on my way out and um I was at a park, right? I was doing my thing, and I'll let the story tell it. But uh, I experienced trauma because of it, and I carried it with me into the vacation. So in order to, like, let it go and let it out, I had to leak it out. And, Paul, this kind of goes with, like, how we deal with it, right, as mm -hmm. youth workers. So is it cool if I read it, bro? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, and then I think everybody can kind of get an understanding of one way we can let it out. Because I'm a creative, and... I'm an introvert, but I'm a contemplative, and I have to get some of this on paper sometimes. So I called it cicatriz. Um, so tales from the streets, stories of the life of youth who remain nameless but not faceless. I choose to protect them this way since no one else will. I have many tales, but there are a few that I must retell to simply rid myself of the horrors that linger on as secondhand trauma. I mean, I'm all up in it. I'm in the middle of their struggle, their fight. I'm witnessing their suffering and I feel sick to my stomach because up until the moment that our worlds collide, I can't do anything to stop the pain. I'll never forget a young man who I will now always remember because of the scar on his face. It appeared on his face after busting a lick and it was then when he met Greed for the first time. And Greed, in the form of his friend, unexpectedly pulled a knife on him to jack the innocence from his face. On that day that we reunited, which was very recently before my vacation, it was 7 a.m. and I was preparing for an event in the neighborhood park. The brisk air helped me escape from the reality of my duty. I was cleaning up human feces, empty liquor bottles, and syringes from the grassy patches where addicts, winos, and homeless escaped their own realities. I saw movement out of the corner of my eye, so I turned and from a distance, I could see a youngster jogging my way into the park. At closer look, it was cicatriz. And he had, a hurt, he had a worried and anxious look on his face. He was sweating profusely, so I called him out by name. And the sound of my voice and the echo of his name caught him by surprise. But familiarity helped him to stop in his tracks. He looked up, but only for a moment. When he realized it was me, it was as if he felt I was finally seeing his true self. 
You see, I've known him for years since he was 10 years old. And even then his world was chaotic, at no fault of his own. The only difference then was that he was able to conceal it from me. The reality of his suffering. I asked him there in the park, are you okay? He half laughed and teared up and said, no, I'm not. At this point, his shameful downward glare was so powerful that it dug wells of regret and horror for anyone close enough to him to fall into. He kept moving further and further away from me as I was attempting to talk to him. So before he disappeared into the bleakness of the streets, I yelled out my phone number, hoping that with whatever energy he had left, he'd remember the digits. He came and went. I thought for sure that I wouldn't see him again for another year or more, or even maybe later or longer. You see, the streets eat youth alive. They rob them of any sense of hope or safety. They serve up narcotics and psychosis on a daily, and they slowly blot out the memory of what once was. You may ask yourself, why do youth leave their homes and end up in the streets? Let me tell you, they're never looking for something. They are always fleeing something horrendous. In this case, he was fleeing an abusive father who was a druggie, homeless, and absent for all of his life. He was fleeing his mother, who was dealing with boyfriend number 16 to match his age. He was fleeing her struggle with mental illness and trauma that she dealt with by popping pills and nodding off for most of his childhood. He was fleeing the fact that he was living in the kitchen next to cockroaches who were enjoying the years of filth layered on the floor and kitchen table in his home. To my surprise, about 40 minutes later, I heard the roar of a rice burner. At closer look, I see my licenseless youth in the driver's seat, still sweating profusely. With his phone out, he yells out to me, Hey E, what was that number again? So I shoot him the digits one more time. And with fervor, he begins to punch them into his contacts, and he reassures me that I'll be hearing from him soon. One minute later, the text exchange ensues. Youth. What's up, E? Me. Let me know what's going on, homie. I'm here to support you any way that I can. You need a place to lay your head? Youth. Well, it's because I had a problem with smoking. And now that I want to stop, I don't know what to do no more. Right now, I'm living in the streets, sleeping at the transit, because it's better than sleeping in the kitchen on the floor. I have problems at home, too, you know? I don't know. I just feel like I'm on my own. Me. Yeah, man, I feel you. I'm here for you, bro. And I got an army of mentors to support you. How old are you now? Let's start working together again, bro. I have a lot of resources for youth in the P. What are you doing later? You want to catch a burger and catch up face to face? My treat. Youth. I'm 16 now. And yeah, I'm down. If you want, I can drive over to you. <laughs> Me. <laughs> for sure, bro. Come through. I'm at the park now. Youth. I'm on my way. And that's the story of one of my most recent youngsters. He's 16 years old, living in our transitional age home uh, with the permission of his mother. And we've been working close with DCFS on this. Um, so tough story, man. But I'll pass it back to you, Paul. Yeah. No, I mean, that was all those stories. The last story were really great. Um, and I guess for this last one, you wrote it out and we're actually going to be publishing this blog on our website soon, but what are other ways have, that you try to release and let go of your past trauma or secondhand trauma that you've received just hearing the stories of the kids? Man, I mean, so journaling, poetry, um, getting alone and just processing things 
uh, venting to mm-hmm. trusted friends and mentors. Um, you know, my own family. Um, my my family has been in kind of the same work for a long time too. So, talking to people that kind of get it, and they're not gonna judge or like, what the f's wrong with that kid, bro? He should be, you know, why didn't you call DCFS right away? I did, bro. I'm a mandated reporter. I know what the law is, right? Like, I'm not looking to talk to those kinds of people. Like, I, I'm wanting to leak out to people that just get it and mm-hmm. are sympathetic. Um, art for me, like. Whether that's, I mean, I mentioned poetry, but like painting, blank canvases. Um, yeah, those are some go-tos for me. But I, I, I'm not the greatest at it. Um, like, whole, like leaking it. But what's weird is that these injustices and these horrid stories motivate me mm. to like go the next mile, bro. And like fight that the next kid doesn't have to suffer like this you know yeah no that's good because i know for me when i think about all the trauma that i've seen the stories that i've heard um for me i'm the talker right you know that i just talk and i share and i i do have some people in my life that are just like i just share um and to listen and i think that's important to know who who in your life are the listeners versus like the giving of advice (laughs) because at this time like you don't need the advice because you already know what you're, you need to do and what you're doing. It's just like, Hey man, I need to get this off my chest. Cause this is like, you know, driving me crazy because I remember like some of the trauma that I've seen, it's like, and been part of it's like, dude, like I understand why people just drink because it's an easy way to just cover the problem. Yeah. Um, and, or other coping, right. The negative ones like drinking drugs. Cause it's easy to just, mask it and you feel good when you do it like i get it i understand why but i realize that you know like i can't do that if i want to be an example i want to be a mentor i can't do these things that i know negative influences are doing in the lives of our youth so for me a lot of times yeah as you said talking i'm not the artist i hate drawing i hate painting i hate journaling um but i know it has some value um, so if I'm in desperate need, I do that. Um, but my go-to normally is like I go for walks uh, and just be in nature, talking. I love being at the beach and just relaxing. Sometimes, we, you know, self-care days, we do those and just knowing on how to relax and to just unwind. You you brought up something that I, I want to share with the listeners. Um, reading books are is very helpful. And I want to give a little book recommendation. It's simple reading. It's called The Reason I Jump. But that book helped me process that last story of that young man I just read, mm. Cicatriz. Um, it's all about uh, autistic children. And it was written by a 13-year-old autistic boy. And he was answering all the questions that the world has about him and others with autism. Anyways, the, there's a lot of things I took away, a lot, that helped me process my pain and trauma. But the one biggest one I want to share is with those who are artistic at times that are nonverbal, they can express their emotions. So one of the questions that he addresses in the book is why do you become violent? Why do you hit yourself, yell, cry, right? Mm-hmm. And do that for so long. He says that because they cannot express how they're feeling verbally yeah. or thinking, they respond um, 
with their violence or hitting themselves or biting or punching. And I was thinking to myself, like, God, bro, all these years, all these kids who have had such horrible outcomes um, and their life has ended up horribly impacted by, you know, their circumstances. That's been what it is, man. And that's why we believe in mentoring because kids act out when they can't articulate what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. We create spaces early on for them to, for the first time, talk about their pain and help them heal. And when you do it the first time, the second time becomes easier, the third time becomes easier, the fourth time. And when they finally process it and articulate it, they find freedom. And in the book, the whole title, he was also saying why he jumps, why autistic children jump. Mm. And he was talking about how the autistic mind doesn't have timelines in, his, in their brains like normal people do. But he was saying, so he could be retrieving a memory from like 20 years ago, or let's say 10 years ago. And that 10 year ago memory could cause him to be laughing, you know, mm. and everybody's thinking they're weird and like crazy, crazy and yeah. sick, but they're just enjoying that memory. What does it look like metaphorically to help symbolically urban inner city youth jump? Mm. And he, I love the way he talks about it in the book. He says when his hands are to the sky, he feels like he could just reach, you know, as far as he wants. He, he says he senses, he feels every parts of it. When he jumps, he, he feels every part of his body unlike any time ever mm. in his life. So I was just thinking about, like, when, they, when we help kids get to pockets of peace and joy, and when we help them jump, they begin to know themselves more thoroughly, and their sense of identity and self-love materializes, and that's when, you know, the, the magic happens. That's when they become who they were always created to be, these beautiful, resilient, intelligent, amazing people that this world deserves to experience and vice versa. They, they deserve to experience the world and pursue whatever success they long for or desire. So I appreciate you letting me share, man. And, you yeah. know, to those listening, take some of the recommendations and tell stories, man. Get them off your chest. So Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, just encouragement. Um, for youth workers out there and for youth if you have a story like that's what youth workers are here for we, we want to hear those stories we want you to build and to heal and be able to jump um, and not being um, violent and outbursting because you're not able to express yourself and youth workers that's what we're here for too is just express yourself share we you need to be able to release that trauma as well otherwise you're going to be hurting and harming those that you love the most um so thank you again so much for checking in this month. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.